you're going to meet a man that God has blessed and used. And I, I've heard a lot of testimonies in the 40 plus years that I've been ministering and revival meetings when we had testimonies and here in this church. But I don't know when I've ever heard one that so spoke to my heart and touched me and so spoke to the church as uh, what you shared this morning. So, Tom, this is your family. You know that, don't yeah. you? They're, they're, you know, if you stand up here and look at this sea of faces, it's, it's intimidating, even though I'm, a, I'm accustomed to it. They're our friends, Tom. They're on our side. Okay? <laughs> so share your word. Thank you. Good morning. I've been asked to come and tell you the story of Tom Anders, but I can't do that this morning because I don't have a story. That story no longer exists. However, I can tell you the story of Jesus Christ in the life of Tom Anders and in the life of Trinity Baptist Church and the contribution that each of you as members of Trinity Baptist Church has made to this story. The story of Tom Anders lasted 48 years, but on February the 14th, 1989, as I sat on a cold, damp, concrete floor, there was no stool or chair to sit on. My shoes and glasses had been taken away from me. And as I sat there on that floor, I began to cry, and the realization that, that I had gone from the top of the ladder of success into a bottomless pit named hopelessness, helplessness, despair, and dismay. Because you see, I was sitting in a jail cell. And for the first time in my life, I realized that I had to make some decisions about the direction of my life. Decisions that I had postponed and put off for many years because I couldn't seem to come to grips to leave what I thought was good and find the fulfillment and joy that I wanted so bad in life. But I had reached the bottom. And as I sat there, I realized that there was no one to blame but myself. And as the years passed before my eyes, there wasn't anyone that I could share that responsibility with because of my pride and my greed that was in my heart. But I also knew that there was only one that could reach down in that bottomless pit that I was in. He's the only one that had an arm long enough to touch my fingertips and began to pull me out. And I'd run a great race for 48 years, but I'd ran it in the wrong direction, yet he loved me so much that he was right there with me. I believe with all my heart that God allows situations and circumstances to happen in our life that brings us to a point we have to make these decisions. I never could find the courage and the strength to make that decision, and I really believe that it wasn't the Lord that, that put me in that position, but I believe that He knew that I wanted to make the decision and I couldn't on my own, and He provided the avenues and the circumstances that put me on that floor. And whenever He does that to us, He always gives us two choices. The first choice I had was I going to allow Tom Anders to continue to lead my life for 48 years it came to this, 
Or was I going to answer the knock upon the door of my heart and allow Christ to come in? God knocked the loudest and the hardest that he had ever knocked before. And I realized for the first time the door that he's knocking on into our life has only one doorknob. And the doorknob's on our side. It's not on God's side. He's wanting in. He wants into our life. And this night was the night that I opened the door. I asked him to come in and I placed him up on the mantle of my heart. February the 14th, 1989, was the day that the story of Tom Anders died. It's the day that for the first time in my life, after 48 years, I found joy, fulfillment. I just, I couldn't believe that I was sitting in this jail cell and I had more joy and fulfillment and a calmness about me and a peace that I'd ever experienced before. This was day one of the story of Jesus Christ in the life of Tom Anders. Most Christians, when they come to Christ and give their life, they think life's going to become better. The problems are less and the solutions are going to become greater. But in my life, it got worse. My family disowned me. They didn't want any part of me. I had put a black mark on them. I had embarrassed them and they got completely away from me. And for the first time in my life, I was totally alone. There was no one. But it got worse. In 1991, I was incarcerated in a federal prison camp in Texarkana, Texas. There were times and days in there that I got so lonely that the only way that we could call was collect, and I would call home collect, and they wouldn't accept the charges. There were other times when I would call home and they would accept the charges and they wouldn't say a word. And I would try to talk and nothing was exchanged and then they'd hang up. I guess that's part of my punishment. The letters that I received were letters that I had written home and they were sent back to me because they wouldn't accept them. I got one letter that says, please do not write to this address. We don't want your mail here. We don't want anybody to know who you are or where you are. And I think that I had never been hurt so bad in all my life. But in the spring of 92, the counselor came and he said, Mr. Andrews, you qualify for a work release program. He said, there's two in Texas, one's in Dallas and one's in San Antonio. I said, don't send me to San Antonio. I don't want to go to San Antonio. It's too far. So they put my name in for Dallas, and they came back a short time later and said, Mr. Andrews, we're sorry to tell you, but Dallas is closed. So I said, well, if I want out of this place, I don't have a choice. So they put me in for San Antonio, and they came back a few weeks later and said, Mr. Andrews, we've got good news and better news for you. You've been accepted to San Antonio, but Dallas is reopened, and we can resubmit your name. Well, you know, when we're in control of our life, as I was for 48 years, we'll go with what we want to go with, and that would have been to Dallas. But I had a partner now. I had someone that would help me make the decisions, and there was something inside me that says, Tom, Dallas closed for a reason. So this is one time that I listened to my heart, and I said, I'm going to San Antonio. I was to leave on October the 1st, 1992, a Thursday. The beginning of the week, 
I met a gentleman in the hall that was from San Antonio, and he said, Tom, I know that you'll be going to church. Do you have a church in San Antonio? And I says, no, I don't know nothing about it. I don't know how to get around. I don't know anything. I know the Alamo was there, and that was all. So he said, I'm not a churchgoer, and I don't know anything about churches in San Antonio or anywhere else. But he says, I have heard of this one. And on a small white piece of paper, he had scribbled Trinity Baptist Church, Buckner Fanny. He said, Tom, I think that church has built a new sanctuary out on Luke 410. And he said, I think I know where you'll be staying and you'll need transportation to get there. So when I came to San Antonio on a Thursday, my first question was, where's Luke 410? And they said, it's a long ways from here. What's the reason that you want to you find out? And I said, well, there's a church there that I want to attend Sunday. They said, well, that's out because all you get is two hours for church service and you can't walk from where you are now to Luke 410, much less go to church there. So nothing was said about it, and we filled out the papers, and they told me what, I was, what they expected of me. And as I was leaving the office, one of the gentlemen said, Mr. Andrews said, by the way, what's the name of that church? And I said, it's Trinity Baptist Church. And they said, you don't need Luke 410. All you need to do is walk about 20 minutes from here. You know, I stopped to think, you know, Dallas was closed, and I didn't want to come to San Antonio, but he provided a way for me to come here, Luke 410, and I'm just 20 minutes away. Sunday came, and the only thing that I had to wear were the old clothes that they had given me at the camp to travel to San Antonio, and I got my Bible. I came in the door back there, and as I walked to the entrance to the sanctuary, a gentleman came up and he shook my hand and he said, sir, it's so good that you're here this morning. And he patted me on the back and he says, I'm so glad you've come to worship with us. And tears swelled up in my eyes because this was the first man in nearly three years that had been kind to me. My family didn't want me, but this gentleman at this wonderful place was glad that I was here, dressed as I was. He not only pointed me to a seat, but he walked me to a seat. And as I sat down, I, I lowered my head because I didn't want somebody to see me crying. And when Buckner asked for the visitors to stand, I stood up and all the people around me shook my hand and told me they were so glad that I was there and to please come back. And a little boy, about nine or ten, year, ten years old, shook my hand. How many places can you go where a nine or ten-year-old boy will shake a stranger's hand? I could hardly wait to get back to the house where I was staying to, to write Buckner a letter. And I sat down and I said, Dear sir, my name's Tom Anders. And I told him all about myself. And before the week was out, I got a letter back from him, and he says, Dear Tom, I want to meet you. I want you to come up after the next service, and I want to meet you. This man had never seen me before. He knew that I'd been incarcerated. He knew the, my life, but yet he wanted to meet me. So that Sunday came, and all I had to wear were the same old clothes. 
And when the service was over with, I came to the front and I came up these steps and I walked over and I stuck out my hand and I said, Sir, my name's Tom Anders. When Buckner stuck out his hand, I have never in my life seen such a sparkle in a man's eye. And he shook my hand and I knew this man loved me beyond anything that I could ever imagine. He dropped my hand and when he saw the tears and he grabbed me and he bear hugged me and he kissed me right here. My father never embraced me. My father never kissed me. But this church is what it's all about. This church loves by not what we can bring, what Tom Anders could bring through those doors, but you love because of God's grace. And Buckner loved me because of God's grace. I came every Sunday. And I, after about four or five Sundays, I knew that my prayers had been answered. Day and night, I had prayed for a family that God would provide me a wonderful, loving, caring family. And this was it. I wrote Buckner and I says, I want to be a part of your family. I want to join Trinity Baptist Church and I want to be a part of this loving and caring and wonderful group of people called Trinity Baptist Church. And that Sunday, I sat on this, this aisle right here about 80% of the way back and when Buckner gave the invitation, I stepped out immediately and I didn't want any grass to grow under my feet. And I took about four or five steps and he was already back there with me. He kissed me on top of the head and we walked arm in arm. And I knew that I had found the family that I so desperately needed. This family here called Trinity Baptist Church. As the weeks passed, my time in the work program was getting short and I'd be going back to Tyler. I had no reason to go back to Tyler, so I went to the people in the program and I says, I want to move to San Antonio. And they said, what's your reason? And I says, I have a new family now. They said, oh, your mom or sister or somebody moving to San Antonio. And I said, no, I have a family called Trinity Baptist Church. And they said, Tom, we're sorry to tell you, but that won't work. The Justice Department wants you to be close to your family, and they're not, they won't allow you to move on that reason. And I said, if you send me back to Tyler, I won't have a family. They won't support me. I have no contact with them. This family loves me. They said, we're not going to write the letter. We'll fill the forms out, but you'll have to write the letter. So I said, dear sir, I want to move to San Antonio. I have a new family called Trinity Baptist Church. Please consider my request. Sincerely, Tom Anders. Just a short time later, just a few weeks, they call me in the office and they shut the door. And when the door is shut where I was or had been, you get a little bit worried. But they said, Mr. Anders, we don't understand, but we got your request back, and you'll be staying in San Antonio. I knew the reason why. Dallas closed in San Antonio opening. A fella giving me a white piece of paper, Luke 410, and only 20 minutes away. 
in this wonderful family called Trinity. I used to gauge wealth by what's in here. But wealth's not determined by what's in here. Wealth in my life is determined by what's right here and right here. Every one of you. And you know what? I'm the wealthiest person in all the world because I have a family called Trinity Baptist Church. I don't know all of your faces. I don't know all of your names. But I can say with all my heart that I love each one of you more than you'll ever understand. And I want to thank you for allowing me to be a part of this wonderful family called Trinity Baptist Church. May God bless each and every one of you. And thank you. I know the Lord has spoken to you as he has spoken to me. I knew Tom's story. He didn't tell all of it. He's going to tell a lot more of it tonight. Hope you'll be here to hear him. He's going to fill in some of those other spaces in there. And what he gave us this morning was just an hors d'oeuvre of what tonight's going to be, even a greater feast of the grace of God and what the Lord's done in his life and through his life. I don't know who the usher was that met him. But whoever that was, was as much a servant of God and an imitator of Christ that day as I or Tommy or any Sunday school teacher or anybody in this church. You see, that was just the body of Christ reaching out, reaching out to touch people. How do you explain the little white piece of paper If you think that's an accident, I need to introduce you to a God of miracles. If you think it's an accident that the people who were here knew where Trinity Baptist Church was and told him and that he got sent 20 minutes from here instead of five hours from here in Dallas, not because there are not places there or other places here that radiate the love of God and communicate the grace of God. There are many, 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 but there's a certain time and a certain place and a certain group of people for certain folks, and this was the place, and you were the people for Tom Anders, and some of you here today, God may be saying exactly the same thing to you. It's wherever God is leading you and working within your life to bring you, and it's no accident that you're here today anymore that it was an accident that Tom met the man at the prison camp that told him about Trinity Baptist Church because God knew that an usher was going to be on duty that day with a warm heart and an outstretched hand to welcome a guy who walked in here on eggshells of fear. You see, God's doing that everywhere, or wants to do it everywhere. And why does he do that? Why does God do that? For one reason. He loves you. He loves us. Not because we're good, and not because we're moral, or not because of any of that stuff. And all those are good. How commendable that is. But God loves us irrespective of who we are, how far down we might be. 
Tom said, man, he was, he was in the pits. The Bible says God's arm is not shortened that he cannot save, nor his ear heavy that he cannot hear. So it doesn't make any difference how far away you may feel you are. You're not past the outstretched hand of a loving God. No matter how many times you've turned off the Word of God or the impression of Christ in your life, He keeps on talking to you. His ear is not heavy that He cannot hear. And all you have to do is the Bible says is call upon the name of the Lord and you'll be saved. Saved from yourself, saved from your past, saved from your fears, saved from your guilt. Saved from, saved from that spirit of desperation and desolation. Saved by the grace of God. Because God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. That's why he did it, because he loves you. How does he do it? He does it by faith in us. He believes that we, knowing his love for us, will respond to him. He believes in us long before we believe in him. He believes that if we just get the right word about him, that he is love and that he does give grace greater than all of our sin, that once people hear that, they'll respond to that. See, he believes that we will use good judgment and say, Here's the answer to my problems. Here's the solution to my dilemma. Here's the salvation for my life. So that's, that's how it's done. It's just saying, Lord, I accept your gift. I accept your gift. Do not stand there with your hands stuck down deep in the pockets of procrastination waiting for a better time. It's now. It's today. It's here. And what's the result of all of this? Well, I'll tell you what the result is. The Bible tells you what it is. Tom just told us what it is. The result of all of this in your life and in mine is when we accept the love of God, the love of Christ begins to rub off on us, and we become loving people. Because what we're saved by is love. And that love produces a positive power within us. The most powerful force in the world, the most creative force in the world is love. And when we accept the love of God within us, he doesn't come there with negatives. You don't get a positive result out of building your life upon a bunch of negative virtues. You can add up zeros all day long, but you don't get anything but a zero. You can pull weeds all week long, you don't get a garden. You can curse the darkness in the room all day long, but you don't get rid of the darkness till you let the light in. And when we let the light in, it's the light of love. When we let grace in, it's the grace of God. He pulls the weeds out because there's something beautiful flowering and growing there, and, and the weeds cannot survive in that atmosphere of love. They just shrivel up and die. Not instantaneously, but it happens over a period of time. And so that's why in the Word of God we have the result of what happens to us when we just say yes to the grace of God. We become loving people. And that's the mark of what it means to be a Christian. Paul wrote that marvelous 13th chapter of 1 Corinthians. And he says, though we speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but if we don't have love, we're nothing. We're nothing. He says it over and over again. If we don't love, even we give our body to be burned, we're nothing. We're nothing. We're nothing. We're nothing. We're a combination of zeros without love. And then he sets out to use 15 verbs to describe how love acts. Now, the only way a person can begin to act like this and live like this is because of the love of God within him. There's just no way in the world 
that we can do this. And uh, love is something you do. It's not just something you believe. It's a verb. Faith is a verb. It means to act on it. And what he says here, um, love is patient. Patient, literally translated means love will put up with each other. <laughs> love is willing to put up with each other. You, you may not like them very much, but you're willing to put up with them. Uh, your will comes into play and not just your feelings. It also means that you're willing to put up with yourself because that's where love begins after we love God with all of our hearts, mind, soul, and strength. And then Jesus said we're to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. We'll never have the right attitude toward ourselves till we have the right relationship with God. And then when we do, we'll begin to love other people in a proper way, having begun to love ourselves in a proper way. And so love will be patient. It'll put up with it, be willing to put up with other people's differences. Love is patient. Love is kind. Today is the first day of this week of uh, remembrance as we uh, and many of us in the community are involved in reminding our city that this is a week where we're to encourage people to get involved in random acts of kindness. I think that's good, except I don't really care for the word random. That's like you're just doing something because it's Valentine's Day or Valentine's Week. I mean, I, I gave Martha a Valentine's gift yesterday. It was a new fan belt for the dryer at the house. <laughs> I gave that to her because I love her. It had sequins on it. It's just beautiful. You'd see, she just was thrilled and said, Bugger, that's what I wanted more than anything in the world. Look, love always expresses itself. You know, love just can't help but express itself, doesn't it? It's the nature of love to express itself. It's the nature of love to pursue. That's what God is. His nature is love, and he pursues us. And he expresses that love over and over again. And the ultimate expression of God's love was in his death on the cross to save us. That's how much. He literally died for us. He's dying to come into our hearts and into our lives. And so this marvelous gift creates a desire to be kind to one another. How many of you, that was the first, I know it was Cynthia's because she told me this morning, we talked on the telephone early, the first memory verse she learned in Sunday school was be kind to one another. Everybody say it. Be kind to one another. Not just in a random way, but with the love of God in your heart and in your life, it will become a perpetual way. It can become a practice temporarily, and then it will become a principle of our behavior if we work at it and let it happen through it. Love is kind. Love is patient. Love is kind. And he goes on 15 different verbs telling us what love is. It doesn't keep a list of wrongs. It's not seeking its own. It's not unbecoming or unpolite. It's not provoked. It doesn't keep an account of other people's wrongs doesn't make a list of them, doesn't rejoice when bad things happen to people. 
that bears all things, hopes all things, believes all things, love never fails. Everything else is going to fail. Paul says it. Whether there be prophecies, they'll fail. Whether there be tongues and language, they'll fail. Whether there be knowledge, it will pass away. The only thing that's going to remain, the greatest of these, is love. And he elaborates that in this marvelous third chapter, excuse me, fourth chapter of Ephesians, which I read earlier. And say now with just a closing word. For I believe America needs to hear these words. American Christians need to hear these words. I need to hear them. I'm concerned about the epidemic of bitterness that's permeating American life today. Not just disagreement over policies. That's the way it's supposed to be. Not just debating certain proposals. That's the way it's supposed to be. What I'm concerned about is that edge of bitterness, hatred that's creeping into our attitudes and our vocabulary. And the tragedy is that it's happening to Christians. And when it does, Paul tells us in this fourth chapter of Ephesians in the 27th verse, when we begin to have these kind of feelings, what we're doing, we're making ourselves, he says, available to the devil. And do not give the devil an opportunity, he says in verse 27. And when we start hating, when we start having bitterness, we're giving him an opportunity to get a foothold in our lives. Blaise Pascal is one of the most brilliant men that ever lived, mathematician, scientist, became a Christian. One of the great books of the Western world is devoted to the writings of Blaise Pascal, Pensees, his thoughts, one of the most effective witnesses for Christ in the history of Christianity. And he said this, men never do evil so completely and cheerfully as when they do it from religious conviction. Men never do evil so completely and cheerfully as when they do it from religious conviction. No, love is kind. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. All of it, he says twice. All of that stuff. All of it. And be kind to one another. Tender-hearted. And forgiving one another. Even as Christ has forgiven you. The three children of love are kindness, tenderness, and forgiveness. They have their source in the love of God. Therefore, he continues, be imitators of God. My soul, there's no way we can imitate God. That's right. It would be sheer hypocrisy for us to do so. What is he saying? He is saying, so let this kindness and this tenderheartedness and this forgiveness and the love of Christ 
permeate you, that you will be an imitator of Christ like an usher in Trinity Baptist Church one Sunday morning a few years ago who was an imitator of Christ unknowingly for he reached out to a guy and welcomed him, made him feel at home, took his hand and brought him in. Friends, meet the good Samaritan back there in that foyer. I don't know who it is. Wish I did. God knows. But that's what we're all to be. He was an imitator of Christ, not because he was trying to be, but because Christ's love had gotten into his heart and into his life. And he was welcomed home. And I told this earlier, and I'll tell it again at this earlier service. I told it once before years ago, I believe. It was a very personal thing with me. But when Tom told his story, and I had no idea what he was going to say or talk about, it brought to mind an experience that happened to me. Because I grew up in a kind and tender-hearted and forgiving and loving family. I, I had the benefit of that experience early in my life, which Tom didn't have till he walked in that back door. But I remember when I was in high school, and I had done a dumb thing. And when I say that, the mind of man runs to extremes. I know that. Uh, it, it, I'm not going to tell you what it was. It's none of your business. I've, uh, <laughs> but it's in the hands of God. And it wasn't some gross immorality. Uh, but it was, a, it was bad. I mean, it was wrong. I shouldn't have done it. I've told you all I'm going to tell you. <laughs> How many of you will make as much confession as I have made? Uh, can I see your hand? Okay. That's it. I came home about midnight, and I knew uh, we had problems because my mother and dad were waiting up for me. And they were seated there at the little dining table. And they, I walked in. They said, Buckner, sit down. And they began to talk to me about what had happened. And I just did what Tom did when he walked into church. I just I put my head down on that table, and I, just, I began to cry. And after a few moments, they didn't rub it in, but we talked about it. They got up and left the room. And a few minutes later, my father, Charlie Fanning, as kind a person as I've ever known, walked back in the room, leaned over, and kissed me on the top of my head, and said, Buckner, I love you. And all the stars came back in my sky. And I heard the music again. And the joy of the Lord again. Listen, friend. He'll put all the stars back in your sky. You're in a family here that welcomes you and wants you and trusts you and you trust us because together we trust the Lord and none of us can make it alone. We need each other. We need each other's kindness and tenderheartedness and forgiveness. We need to be imitators of Christ. Tom will help us be a better witness for Christ as a family. We invite you to come and make the same decision. This morning in the early service, one man, 42 years of age, made a profession of faith. One man, 50 years of age, made a profession of faith. First time making their commitment to Christ. You're not alone.
Tom was not alone when he walked down this aisle. And if you happen to start first, I'll meet you. If I'm here talking to someone, I can't be in two places at one time, but God can. And so he'll meet you before you even begin, but start right now.